You're listening to A Journey in American English. Hello everyone and welcome back. Just a quick heads up before we get started. Because of Easter, Chris and I will not be recording an episode this weekend and thus there will be no episode next Monday. So we will be back in two weeks time. In today's episode, we want to talk about a topic that I find to be very interesting and for which Chris did a lot of research, namely the topic of food. So I am very grateful for his insight and I learned a lot and I hope that you will also learn a lot as well. In today's episode, we want to talk about two main types of food. The first being food that has been imported from other cultures. Think for example, Chinese takeout or Mexican takeout. The second type of food we want to talk about are local blends. Think for example, Tex-Mex, so Mexican food that's eaten in Texas, or for example, French Cajun food that is eaten in Louisiana. With that being said, let's begin. Hello, welcome back. Hey everyone, super excited for this week. Yeah, so <laughs> like a couple of episodes ago, uh, I recommended that you pick out a topic that, that we can talk about today. And, and it's not like I want to uh, give you all the work, but it, it does seem that you, uh, you go all in and you're a lot more invested in the topic when, when it's your job. So, and you have a lot of good uh, enthusiasm, <laughs> which a, a I little, like. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, this week we're talking about food. Uh, we're going to attempt to specifically talk about uh, foreign influences in American food, specifically immigrants coming to this country and them changing American food, American food changing them, or and them just having to adapt to being in a new place. Yeah, so... Um, I think we can start with the word food itself when, Ooh. whenever, yeah. So whenever you think of American food, what's the first thing you think of? Like, what's the most American thing for you personally? Hamburgers. Yeah. I was, was going to say hamburgers the same thing. And, and some sort of potato dish. <laughs> okay. But I wouldn't have said potatoes, but yeah, hamburgers. And I have another I have another friend who who also lives in Germany, and he and I were talking about um, about the states and about missing food, and he was talking about what kind of food he likes, and I was talking about what kind of food I like, and we both came to the realization that everything we listed was incredibly unhealthy, and I think it's really hard to find good, wholesome, healthy food that that is nationwide. You know what I mean? And doesn't break and doesn't break the bank. That's important yeah. too. Yeah, that's true. I think one of my favorite things is clam chowder, but I don't know if I would say that's American. I would just say that's, you know, something that you eat in the U.S., but I wouldn't call it like a very American food. Well, here's the thing. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be a clam chowder historian, uh, but New England <laughs> clam chowder is a dish that exists. Yeah. And a lot of it is, uh, if I remember right, an abundance of, at the time, considered cheap peasant food in that new england area and what you do when you're poor and you have cheap food is you throw what you can get with some fillings in a pot you add some sort of liquid to it you boil it uh-huh. and you eat it so really that sounds... I, I mean yeah soup is how you 
you can throw anything in a soup and it'll at least be okay. And you can stretch a lot of cheap food pretty far. Oh, that sounds a lot like the story of the stone soup. Have you heard of that? It's been a long time, but uh, yes, I have. So I don't, I don't know what anyone to quote me, but basically it's like an old story. So there's this woman in, in the woods and she's cooking, she's boiling water and someone comes along and says that smells really good and can i have some and she says yeah sure but if you want some you have to bring carrots so the guy goes off and he gets carrots and he he throws them in the pot and she says yeah but it's not done and so the next person comes along and smells it and says like hey that's really good what are you cooking and she's like yeah i'm cooking carrot soup but i need potatoes and so the guy goes off and gets potatoes and then by the end of the story uh she basically has a soup even though there was nothing in it it was just like water with some herbs and that's kind of like the story of the stone soup i believe but your explanation reminds me a lot of food that is eaten in the south so a lot of the former slaves i mean now they're not slaves but people who are descended from slaves so who live primarily in the south a lot of their food comes from that so you know there's a lot of food in like black culture you know like soul food Yes. And a lot of that was created from like leftovers because, you know, the master gets the best food and whatever he doesn't eat, he gives to his slaves and they kind of created their own, you know, their own culture, their own food. And once they were freed uh, after the civil war, they kind of created their own food culture. And this evolved into uh, like Southern food, soul food, stuff like that. Absolutely. Come. And something you have to think about, and this wouldn't have just been with um, slaves, but other uh poor people in the south is when you have limited access to ingredients say you can get a little chicken and some cheap vegetables that is hard to make taste as good as expensive food but you're incentivized to make it want to taste good because everybody likes good tasting food so that is how a lot of this soul food and just good southern food in general came about you know you have to make you have what you have, but you have to make it as good as possible. How can we make this happen? And there were people smart enough and incentivized enough to make it happen. Yeah, that's true of a lot of dishes. So I'm I'm sure you're familiar with French toast. And yes. in in French, French toast is called um, uh, le pain perdu, which literally means like lost bread. And <laughs> in German, it's referred to as amarita, which means the poor knight. And if you examine these two words, you'll find that in both of them, they sound like they're kind of poor, you know? And originally French toast was used by knights who were, on, were in battle or actually no, were in the field, but they weren't fighting. And they would take old bread and they would soak it in like this mixture of uh, eggs and milk. And that was basically where French toast comes from. So just a lot of the food is basically created from people who don't have a lot of options that makes so much sense you're on a battlefield you have limited time yeah you only have so much stomach space and you need calories to move so you're going to supercharge this piece of bread with as much nutrients as you can that makes so much sense i've never thought about that before yeah i mean it's not like i mean it's not like they were making food while they were fighting but the idea was how can we save 
this bread because otherwise we would throw it away. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they were like... I, I'm thinking of it more of like a field ration uh, or even more of a modern example. Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A workout bar. Like yeah. I need a bunch of calories to do this workout and I want it in a tiny little bar. Yeah, basically more or less. But that's kind of where uh, a lot of this comes from. Whereas I don't know why it's called French toast in in English, but you have a lot of stuff that's called French. You know, you have French toast, we, French, fr- French fries, French kissing. We like to, we like to just attribute <laughs> things to all sorts of countries. That yeah. have, is it French? No, it's not French. Uh, French fries. So. French Makes fries sense. are French fries are Belgian, uh, or or is that potatoes? Or sorry, potato chips. I think potato chips are Belgian. Yeah. Um. Do you know? So I believe. And this may this may be just uh, American propaganda, <laughs> yeah. But the story I was always told on the origin of potato chips is there was an American restaurant, uh, probably over a hundred years ago. But mm-hmm. the story's a little foggy. A man went into the restaurant and he ordered a dish that came with like sliced fried potatoes. And the man complained, "Oh, you're cutting my potatoes too thin. You're cutting my potatoes too thin." And like all good food service workers, the chef was very angry and offended (laughs) that you would suggest such a thing. And as the spite-filled individuals, people who have worked in kitchens are, he cut them as thin as he possibly could, fried them until they weren't even close to soft, and threw them in front of him, and the guy actually liked them. I've heard that story too, but I'm pretty sure that's more of like an urban legend, an urban Yes, I don't know. I don't know how true (laughs) it is, but it's, it's definitely a fun American story. That's like with uh, George Washington and the cherry tree, you know, or Honest yes. Abe. Um, that's a li- that those two things have nothing to do with food. But the first one with George Washington and the cherry tree, there's this. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a while. But basically, uh, George Washington was a child and he chopped down a cherry tree and his what was it like? His parents confronted him about it and he told the truth. Um, yes, I cannot tell a lie. Yeah, something like that. And and then you have Honest Abe, you know, or Abraham Lincoln. He was considered to be a very honest person. Whether or not he was really honest, uh, I don't know. But that's what's attributed to him. Exactly. And I, you know, Abe doesn't have as many fantastical stories that I can think of off the top of my head as Washington does. I have a hard time believing uh, a young child would be that well-spoken. <laughs> Maybe he would admit to it and it would be obvious who did it. So he, re- <laughs> he realized maybe I should just own up or maybe it probably just never happened. But yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So American food, I think, or food in the U S I think that's a very, it's kind of somewhat of a paradox because if you go to places like England or France or Germany, they have a very cohesive culture. So they have a very long-standing tradition. So a lot of these dishes have been around for hundreds of, maybe even thousands of years. Where, as in the U.S., it's relatively young compared to you know a lot of other countries. And it's always been a mixture of different cultures. Especially if you go to places like New York where that's where a lot of immigrants landed and you have like little Italy and little Germany and little France, or if you're in California, you have Chinatown and stuff like that. So I find it difficult to speak of American food in that context, because a lot of the stuff we like 
uh, and this kind of goes into the next, the, the main topic, a lot of the stuff that we like comes from other cultures. So the yes. biggest one being Chinese food. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I already knew a bit about American Chinese, Americanized Chinese food. And uh, I did a little bit of research before we went into the episode this week. And I almost regret it because I feel like I've dipped <laughs> my toe into a lake only to mm. realize that it goes very, very deep. And now I feel very unprepared to speak on it. But from what I was seeing and what I was reading and hearing, uh, Americanized Chinese food comes from Chinese immigrants coming to this country, mm -hmm. many of which were men. Women were mostly doing the cooking at that time in China in the they came over in uh, at first in the 1850s, uh, California, gold rush, building the railroad, all that kind of thing. And they didn't really know how to cook. So they had to start coming up with things and they would make what they can. It wasn't super popular with Americans. And then it turns out Americans like fried things, Americans like salty things and <laughs> Americans like sweet things. So if you can combine fried and salty and fried and sweet with meat, with some, you know, a thick sauce and all those things, it turns out uh, you can do pretty well, even though it's not very similar to actual Chinese food. And are you familiar with uh, chop suey? Yes, that of concept? course. <laughs> okay. And do you know what it is beyond just the, uh, the song? Oh, the song? Oh, that is a good song. For those who don't know, that's from System of a Down. But it is a good song. It is a very good song. Uh, a quick side note, that song was actually banned at the beginning of the century because of 9-11. And it was on a list of songs that weren't permitted to be played on the radio. Anyway. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a story for another day. Anyway, Chop Suey, without cheating, uh, by, by which I mean by looking it up on Google real quick, <laughs> I do I do believe that it is a collection of like different noodles. It's like kind of like a like a mishmash kind of like like the rest of stuff you would throw in there. But I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, you're you're basically spot on to kind of expand on it. You basically what they would do and I think this was something that came later, not in the 1800s, maybe it did. You would take all your leftovers from, you know, whatever's about to go bad, throw it in a pan, you know, whatever spices or sauces you can throw in there, add some noodles, you know, stir fry it up or whatever, throw it on a plate. And it turns out when you mix all these super strong flavors together in a single dish, it might not be like high class or amazingly complicated food, but it definitely tastes good. Yeah. You know, people like simple flavors. No one's, no one's sitting on their couch eating potato chips or eating candy thinking, wow, these are super complex flavors, but they're enjoying it. They'll pay for it. Yeah, I mean, I do. I'll be the first to say I do like Chinese food, but in the in the Western sense, because that's really what you have to say, because the food that you're eating, for the most part, isn't actually authentic Chinese food. Now, oh, absolutely not. I've been to but this is a long time ago. So don't ask me about dishes, but I've been to like authentic uh, Asian restaurants, like authentic Chinese, authentic Japanese, and they're good, but it's you have to have have to have an appreciation for that you have to be open for that whereas a lot of these westernized um chains are really like like i said are really geared towards americans or europeans so 
I would really like to know what Chinese people think of that. What Chinese oh, people? What Chinese? I, people I found th- out. Oh, did you? <laughs> okay, that would that, that was something that came up in my research. Yeah. So there was a video I was watching, and uh, the guy making the video was interviewing a Chinese immigrant that was living in New York City. As far as I know, he does not work in any sort of Chinese restaurant or anything like that. Because I know working in a restaurant or in a certain type of food can sour you from that. Yeah. He was saying it frustrates him so much. He would rather eat at McDonald's than any Americanized Chinese restaurant in this country. Like, he wants nothing to do with it. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Americanized. But it is also Westernized. Yeah, I I didn't expect anything less. uh, Anything less uh it's not and also yeah. you'll see the uh chinese immigrants who mm. maybe first or, or maybe their first or second generation uh americans descended from chinese chinese americans sorry mm. working at these places and they'll be eating there they're not eating off the menu they're, they're you know just whipping <laughs> up something that they want yeah. they, you know to, it's not at all what they want it's not even close and furthermore, one thing I was uh, researching, I can't, I think it was the, the largest, because uh, China is huge. Yeah, we all, definitely. We all know this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the largest, uh, the main region, the first big wave of Chinese immigrants came from, I believe is Guangdong is what I was reading. My mm. Chinese pronunciation is terrible. Mine's not better. <laughs> <laughs> and so... We have that regional food, and I believe a large part of it was also Cantonese. So we have, we've taken people from this area, Mm. people who didn't, who honestly weren't really even cooks, mostly. They came here, and they just kind of had to throw together what they knew, and then they found out nobody here wanted that, and then had to, to completely change it. So where it feels like we're at least three levels removed from what would be be considered authentic. And I, I've heard certain um, certain Americanized Chinese owners hate hearing that because some of them, not all of them, but some of them like really take pride in some of the things, you know, that they have on their menu, even though the menus from East Coast to West Coast for most Americanized Chinese restaurants are nearly identical. Some of them take offense at it you know, to them. Like, this is, you know, this is what we do. This is my craft. You know, I work really hard on this. They don't like hearing that it's not real Chinese. Uh... I mean, I, I don't want to tell anyone what they're doing is or is not real, but I just, I personally, I feel like it's a different thing. It's, it's a different category of food. Well, I mean, like the food's still good. I'm not going to yes. say, I'm not going to, not... I had, I had, from my local place like two days ago it was great yeah oh yeah that's right yeah you told me about that and even like with these so with like these japanese or with these asian restaurants for the most part not always but generally speaking they have actual asians working there usually they're so if it's chinese restaurant not always but usually they have chinese people um where where i'm from a lot of times you'll find these chinese restaurants will have mexicans cooking in the back which i always thought was a very interesting combination you know the chinese boss with mexican cooks but the food was still good and you do the same thing or they do the same thing with the japanese restaurants but it's kind of hard for me to call things like olive garden you know like italian food 
because it it's really just not. And it's just kind of I, I would honestly say Olive Garden <laughs> is closer to Italian than most Americanized Chinese closer mm. to Chinese. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. That that's a good I mean that's food pas- that. <laughs> it's pasta. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's hard. It, it, it's it's a hard comparison. It it appears Italian. Um but I mean, I like Olive Garden. I mean, it's okay. I haven't had it forever, though. But yes. the question is, I guess you have to ask yourself, is just because they're cooking here, does it make it less Chinese? And I would say no. I would just say it's not <clears throat> necessarily the food you're going to find in China. Right. And, and, and the food is still valid. Yeah, of course. Any, of course. any food that tastes good has some validity to it. Y- yeah, I just... I wouldn't expect the same food in China. That's all. At at some point, you have to draw lines, though. Yeah. Just, just because we need classification. Because if I go to a Mexican restaurant and I get a French uh, souffle or something, yeah. I'm going to be a little <laughs> maybe not annoyed but confused. We need we need our words to mean something at a certain point. But there... something interesting that did happen to me yesterday. Yeah. <clears throat> I, uh, there's a local uh, ramen and sushi place that opened up just a little bit away from where I live mm. called Hokkaido, uh, named after the, the Japanese prefecture. Okay. And I've been there twice now. Yesterday, I went alone. I was sitting at the sushi bar. I ordered a ramen. I ordered a, a sushi roll and just kind of hanging out after work. Mm. And while I was sitting at the bar, I was kind of chatting with the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, who I assume is, uh, I, I believe, one of the owners. And... I was listening to him talk with uh, someone who I think was in his family and I was not hearing Japanese. I'm pretty sure I was hearing Mandarin. Oh yeah. That, yeah. So a lot of times you'll have, you know, Asian Americans opening restaurants, not necessarily uh, tied to their cultural heritage, but just the Asian demand they see, they will try to fill. I, I went to, yeah, I have a funny, I have a similar story. So uh, there's this uh, this Chinese restaurant I like to go to near my place, or I used to before you know they shut everything down. Oh my yeah. god! But um, and I, I love the food, and there was this one waitress who was really nice, and I was learning Chinese, but I did I definitely did not want to like practice my Chinese in a Chinese restaurant. But I heard her speaking Chinese, and I knew it was Chinese because I could understand like bits and pieces so i was like this is definitely chinese you know it's mandarin and yes. and i asked her like is that your family and she kind of looked at me weird she's like no i just i just work here like I, i'm not related to them but a lot of these and i felt really bad for assuming but a lot of these restaurants are really family uh family run you know they pass from generation oh, yeah, to generation absolutely. yeah and a lot of them think you know for westerners we're just all Asian, so they won't won't know the difference. Which, to be honest, for a lot of people, that's actually true. You know, you often hear the stereotype of they can't hear the difference, they can't see the difference, and they think they're just all Asian. Uh, I, I can hear some of the difference. I have a, I can kind of see the difference, but not enough that I would be willing to say, "Oh, hi, you are from this country." I yeah. would I would never feel comfortable uh, dedicating to that. Ever. Based on based on appearance, no. Based on appearance, I would never feel comfortable saying 
he's from Japan and she's from Korea and they're from Taiwan. Like, yeah, like you said, like I can kind of maybe guess and you know maybe but that's what it is yeah it's an but educated guess <laughs> but i would never go up to someone based on their appearance and then just said like hey uh you're chinese but if i hear them speaking uh i can i definitely know like i can tell the difference between uh mandarin cantonese korean japanese uh thai and maybe like two or three other languages like i don't speak them at all but when right. i hear when i hear them i know what it is and so right. then if, if I hear them speaking Korean, I'm like, oh, well, that person's probably Korean. Um, and if they but look to be a- fair, you yeah. probably couldn't tell an English person, a French person and a German person apart if they were, you know, all standing next to each other, not speaking a word. Yeah, that's true. I cut it. <clears throat> uh, some people say that they can tell the difference between Japanese people and Chinese people based on their appearance. But I, I think that a pseudoscience at best and somewhat racist actually (laughs) so i mean there are going to be more there are going to be traits in any country that yes of course you're more likely to see but that's if you have the whole database in your head for all these different factors that make up a person's appearance yeah even then you're playing an odds game yeah so i just i don't go off appearance it's the same with africans too because um, a lot of people think like it, Africans in the sense of from Africa, not not Afro-Americans. But yeah. a lot of people say like they all look the same. And there have been a lot of studies done, especially with respect to uh, uh, catching criminals. So if they'll ask an eyewitness, do you see the person in front of you? So, you know, they have six people. And if you're from the out group, so let's say, for example, it's an Asian person trying to identify a black person, they'll have um less accuracy than if it were a black person identifying a black person and this is a huge problem in in criminology and stuff like that but i I don't want to go down that road what what i'm trying to say is like it's the same thing with you know people from africa if i hear them speaking i can kind of guess where they're from but like just by looking at them i can't say like oh he's from nigeria and she's from kenya i can't do that (laughs) <laughs> right uh for me uh i will i will totally own up to my ignorance yeah unless unless they're unless i hear like french or something and even which case i'll just guess they're from a french colony or former french colony or oh well however all that kind of stuff happened oh uh, if, if they speak french i definitely know if they're, they're from africa uh that's so it's the same in english like the the african accent in english is so well known like you'd know that person's from africa you know um, yes. and it's the same in French like I, if I hear them speaking French I, I'll know if they're from France or if they're or if they're from Africa or not but right but I would never be able to pick a country no well no not really no I, I don't think I'd be able to I'm not that good I would just say like yeah he's not from Europe he's from Africa yeah. but another thing I thought was really interesting uh, which I guess is like the pretext to what you also want to talk about is like Tex-Mex do you know that Yes, yes, that's uh, it. A lot of its history, I suppose, has some similar roots to uh, Americanized Chinese, but yeah. it's not. I would argue it's not quite as offensive, I th- believe, to uh, Mexicans as mm. it is to Chinese. At least as far as I know, I've talked to a couple of Mexicans who do actually like it, and 
I think there's a difference because and I'm by no means an expert on Tex-Mex and I didn't do a lot of research, but the difference I believe between American Chinese food and Tex-Mex, which for those who don't know, it's a combination of Texas and Mexican or Texas and Mexico is the Chinese food was really adapted so that it could be sold to Americans as uh, you can eat this and it's Chinese. Whereas, right. It is not, it's not a fusion yeah, uh, whereas, type of food. It's a compromise trying to sell it off. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Whereas Tex-Mex, at least the way I see it, is really a fusion between uh, Texas, Texan food and Mexican food. And, um, and that's super popular in the U.S. And so a lot of these dishes that you eat that you think are Mexican are actually not Mexican, they're Tex-Mex. And I think the perfect example of this is Taco Bell because <laughs> it tr- it tries to sell itself as like being like Mexican when it's really not, you know? <laughs> it's, it's as Mexican as Panda Express is Chinese. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, I've enjoyed both, but I know what I'm getting. I, I like Taco Bell. I'm not going to knock it, but it's definitely not authentic Mexican food. And that oh, ir- I, I love it, but I'll knock it all day. <laughs> it's so <laughs> awful. It's so bad for you. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing, you know, and Tex-Mex is, is really good, you know, and every, I think everyone knows tacos, but I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that those that's, that, that is Tex-Mex, but you know, you have like fajitas and, um, and hard tacos and stuff like that. And yes, hard shell tacos are exactly. definitely an American thing. <laughs> And thank you. I forgot. I forgot the word. Yeah. And like chili con carne and stuff like that. Those are the things people associate with Mexico, but it's not actual Mexican food in the sense that um, this is what Mexicans would eat like on a day to day basis. It's a combination of American and well, Mexican culture in that sense. I ended up learning a good deal about uh, this particular topic. Uh, this mm. is something I've probably, at this point, maybe a year or more ago, there's an amazing uh, Netflix show called Ugly Delicious. Okay. Where they follow all these different, so, so for example, episode one was on mm. pizza. So they would talk the origin of pizza. They would go to like, you know, uh, Naples and like, this is the home of pizza. This is like pizza in its purest form. They would talk all about this stuff and then they would go to Japan. What, what are they doing for pizza in Japan? Then they'd go to Brooklyn what, and they would go all over. They even like covered Domino's. What's Domino's doing? Where does Domino's fit into this? And they had an episode on tacos. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I ended up learning a lot about tacos and like flour tortillas. Those aren't a real thing. Those are, you know, those, that's a Tex-Mex thing. Oh, is it really? You know, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Mexican tacos, cor- soft, corn-based uh, tortilla, uh, tons of potentially different uh, fillings. It's very, mm. You know, you can do pretty much anything with it. It's, it's a, you know, it's a food delivery <laughs> platform. But oh. it was super interesting. They covered, you know, food trucks in LA, Texas. Uh, they went. I believe they did go to Mexico for a bit. Went to a restaurant there. One of one of the food trucks they went to was a. Uh, run by uh, started by a korean american who's I, I feel so bad he's featured prominently uh in the show in another show called the chef show he was a uh, he's a i believe second or third generation korean american he started like a korean inspired 
taco truck and then he made it big and i don't know if it's still there due to just covid and all mm. that but he had a he had a big las vegas restaurant <clears throat> all that kind of thing he was making like korean food and i think he had like a corn dog on his menu all sorts of crazy things that you get to do when you're a famous chef and people like you <laughs> oh wow no i didn't know that no I highly recommend both those shows. <laughs> Ugly Delicious and Chef Show. Ugly Delicious, I think, is much better, but they're both good. You get to, you can learn so much and see so much crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so that leads me into, well, the final topic of today, which is Cajun food. Yes, and, Cajun and Creole. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Cajun food is, well, based for the most part in Louisiana. And a lot of it is, I would say, a blend of French-inspired and Southern-inspired food. It's it's a little more complicated that, than that, yeah. which is something I've also learned about lately. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's start with just the origin of Cajun real quick, sure. so we can establish a baseline. So there was an ethnic group mm-hmm. in France uh, called the Acadians. And at one point, a group of them uh, immigrated to Canada and they were living in Canada for a while. And then they got exiled from Canada. Yeah, They wound up all the way in Louisiana and a group who has gone through so much moved all over the world. They're not exactly the wealthiest group of people. They had to uh, like we're this is kind of my favorite kind of origin of food Mm. is like with like with uh, poor Southerners. Take what you have and make it good because you want to eat good food. So, you know, crawfish, you know, these awful little uh, water bugs, they have protein. What can we, we can, we can maybe boil them with some spices, make something good out of that. Turns out amazing. Gumbo. What what do you have? You have some leftover scraps of meat. You have some cheap vegetables, throw it in a pot, maybe get some, cheap spices add some rice to it rice and potato not necessarily potatoes in this kind of food but rice and potatoes that's what you shove in food when you need to stretch it so you boil all that together and you have good food i love gumbo it's so good and same with jambalaya i mean this might be me being a little uneducated but and this might be a little more on the creole side but at least what i've had here the flavor profile is very similar it's just uh, the amount of wetness you want. And then in the middle, you have etouffee. Uh, yeah. I've had uh, good crawfish etouffee here. I, I, I so want to go to Louisiana because I, I, I definitely want to go sometime. Cause I, cause you mentioned the Cadians and um, well, cause I study French. And so I find Louisiana French to be extremely interesting. Unfortunately, it's uh, on the decline and, more emphasis has been placed on English as opposed to uh, Louisiana French. But yes. uh, do you by chance know what a Creole is? I, I do. Um, that is something that came up in my research. So it sounds like you might know a bit more than me. So I will I will say what I know and you can correct <laughs> yeah, sure, me. Sure, sure. Um, at least from a food standpoint, what I was researching, uh, the Creoles were in that area before the Acadians, mm. before the Cajun. And they were a little more established, a little more wealthy, a little more higher class. And a lot of the Creole food will be more likely to use more exotic spices, tomatoes, uh, slightly more expensive ingredients, and has more influence from 
French, Spanish, Portuguese, all sorts of things. Ah, okay. So tell me where I went wrong there. No, no, you went in a completely different direction, but I was more fixated on the word Creole itself. So a lot of people don't actually know what the word means. So I don't. No, it's okay. (laughs) So you, so actually it exists in pairs. So you have Creole and Pigeon. And imagine you go to a new place. So you go to a new country. And let's say you only speak 10 words of Russian. And the guy you're talking to only knows 20 words of English. And you both agree to kind of mix this. So you have kind of like a Russian English mix. And whenever you talk to this person, you use this mix. So you'll use an English word when you can, and you'll use a Russian word when you can. And this is referred to as a pigeon because it's a language that helps, uh, basically helps uh, facilitate, facilitate communication with people uh, when you don't speak their language. This happened a mm. lot. This happened a lot in the U.S. So the U.S. or slave traders back then were somewhat wise in that they knew that just because, uh, well, well, basically they took Africans from many different parts of Africa so that they couldn't communicate. And so a lot of these Africans created these pidgin languages, which is basically I'll mix my African language with your African language and we'll somehow communicate. And it doesn't really work. It's very broken. And if you have children who learn this language, that is referred to as a Creole. And yeah, and so a Creole is basically a language that people learn as their native language. So that is what you have in Louisiana, for example. So a lot of people, so you have the local languages, which I'm sure was like English, some Indian languages, and you had French. And so the people here had to kind of like communicate somehow and they would mix their languages. And eventually they had children and these children would learn this blend and that would be their native language. So they wouldn't speak English. They wouldn't speak French. They would speak a mixture. And that's referred to as a Creole. And you have Creoles, across the whole world and it's not just french you have like usually they have their base so if we want to go back to like english you have jamaican english so you have this patois that they speak although i don't like the word patois because it's very negative but people use it a lot and Mm -hmm. if you listen to jamaican speaking like amongst themselves it sounds so english but you understand absolutely nothing and that's that's a jamaican creole and you have like french-based ones you have spanish-based ones you have english you have japanese stuff like that they're basically the product of a colonialism so yeah that was just like a like an interesting side note of like the word itself because a lot of people don't really know where the word comes from or what it means no that's that and that makes so much sense because when i was researching on this topic like like i said the creole food i said you know influence of spanish french portuguese and several others that list of several others that i can't remember was like 10 or more countries long so it makes sense uh, as just being a term for or uh, an origin of all this melding together and just the, the all these combinations yeah and a creole is people say it's simplified but it's it's, it is somewhat simplified, but usually they use they use the words from the source language, but the grammar is completely different, which is why if you listen to it, it sounds very English or it sounds very French, but 
if you try to understand it, you understand absolutely nothing because it's just completely different. But yeah, I think Louisiana is extremely fascinating and I hope I get to go there one day. Uh, yes, absolutely. I don't know if I'd want to go during Mardi Gras. I feel like oh, it'd be no. very exciting, but it would also be very loud. Do you know what Mardi Gras means? So I don't know what it means. If uh, I remember right, mm-hmm. it is a Catholic yeah. uh, celebration because it's right before the beginning of Lent when you would have to you know, give something up and you know, be a little more lean and modest with your living for 40 or so days. Yeah, so for for the for the non-natives who don't know what lent is so l-e-n-t basically you i'm not catholic so <laughs> anyone can feel free to correct me but like you said uh you have to give up something that's precious to you for for 40 days um and the 40 comes from i believe jesus when he was wandering through the desert for 40 days and 40 nights i believe, I believe that's right yeah and mardi gras literally means fat tuesday or sorry, it means Tuesday fat because Mardi is Mar is or Mardi is uh, Tuesday in French, and oh. Gras Gras is fat, like fat in the sense of like uh, on your body or from like uh, like cooking stuff like that. Yeah, so it's Fat Tuesday because it's the Tuesday where you I, I assume where you just get really fat from eating a lot. <laughs> but, I think more than that. I think it's turned into <laughs> just a complete day of indulgence. Well, that's. And uh, that's kind of like St. Patrick's Day, you know, which just passed. And that's another thing that is extremely American or like Cinco de Mayo. Oh, yes. Definitely Cinco de Mayo. I don't know how I don't. And I don't believe St. Patrick's Day is that big of a deal in uh, Ireland either. No. When it when it rolls, when it rolls around here, you better believe everyone is is cooking up that corned beef and cabbage, you know. Uh, the and, green shamrock shakes at McDonald's and Arby's has gotten in on it recently and we'll have the green dyed Guinness and, and all and that I'm kind of con- thing. Yeah, and I'm convinced that these holidays, it and I use that word in the loosest sense possible. I believe that these holidays are just an excuse to you no know, party and get drunk. Because oh, yeah. at their core, they're meant to be cultural. So St. Patrick's Day relating back to Ireland, Cinco de Mayo relating back to Mexico. But the way they're actually celebrated in the U.S. is anything other than uh, anything else than like related back to like Mexico or Ireland. Like as there, there's nothing in common. So it's all kind of like a I would say it's theater. You know, it's it's Irish or Mexican theater, basically. Um, right. So and I think at best, it's just like, you know, sometimes you need an excuse to do something like, hey, yeah, that's true. St. Patrick's Day. I haven't had corned beef and cabbage in a year. Now is as good a time as any, or same with Cinco de Mayo, uh, although I think people eat Mexican food more often. Yeah, I would think there, it's fun. There, go on. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you first. Okay, uh, there's also one one quick thing I want to get to. Sure, we, sure, sure. Uh, before we move on. So if you have another further thought on the Cinco de Mayo. No, uh, no, I'm Pat- done. I'm done. Okay. So I mentioned that that, um, that ramen and sushi place that opened. Yeah. Lately near me is called Hokkaido, mm. which is a Japanese prefecture. And mm-hmm. there's my favorite sushi place uh, in Billings is a place called Okinawa, which is mm. another prefecture. Yeah. So it got me thinking. As far as I know, I did a little research on Hokkaido specific regional food. There's nothing particularly on the menu that screamed Hokkaido to me beyond just Japanese food. And yeah. I'm not I didn't as much research Okinawa regional food. 
but there was nothing I've seen on their menu that seemed any different from just normal Japanese food. So I'm wondering uh, if that, if that's just uh, you know a lot of you know, foreign restaurants they're looking for a name here they just pick you know random place from the country of origin of the, of the food they're doing and just oh that that's a very Japanese name it's a Japanese place make it the name of a Japanese restaurant well, so I was discussing this with a yeah, friend yeah <laughs> how strange would it be for example uh, and maybe this is something that exists. If there is a uh, American restaurant, a, U- mm-hmm. a U.S. restaurant in Japan, and it was called uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. something like that, and it just was standard fare, American fries, burgers, fried chicken, that kind of thing. Did you find one? Oh, I didn't look. Oh, okay, I was, <laughs> we, I was, we were laughing because this, this must seem like if you were if you were if you were a, a visitor from Japan and coming here, I imagine it would seem very strange to you. You go to a restaurant based off named after a region. It has nothing to do with the region. You, would, as an American, you could go to a foreign country named after a you know very food identity heavy area, and it would have nothing to do with it. I imagine that kind of thing internationally must happen quite a lot because if you're serving foreign food in a completely different country, they're not going to know the difference probably, but they'll recognize the name as being from that area. <laughs> the, the next time you go back there, you should see if the Hokkaido restaurant serves pumpkin because um... it does not. Oh. It definitely does not. I, I studied that whole menu. When I went there the first time, I was like, all right, doing a review of this place, ordering a ramen, ordering a sushi roll, ordering takoyaki, ordering karage. We're, we're going to give it the rundown. Uh, because the, the Hokkaido pumpkin is super popular in Germany. And I've never even heard of that before, but it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, and I'm not a pumpkin person. So, but it's, uh, I've eaten it a lot. It's very delicious. But with that being said, we're almost out of time. So you have anything to add before we part ways? I think I just snuck it in. How about you? No, no, I'm good. So, okay. yeah, so it was a very interesting conversation. And we touched on basically three major topics. So Chinese, uh, French, and Mexican. Um, but re- and it's just sh- very shallow. Like, yeah. like I was saying earlier, uh, <laughs> food changing and adapting to its environment and fusions and all those kinds of things, especially in a melting pot country like the United States, it. It runs deep, and we could probably do this five more times if yeah. we wanted to. And maybe oh, we'll do this again yeah. if, if we find the inspiration in the future. Yeah, as always, thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, or or the like, uh, you know where to find us. And yeah, feel yes, free to... We're on our Discord. And real quick, before we forget, we yeah. will be taking next week off due to Easter, but we will be back the week after with another new episode. Yeah, definitely. So if, for those who celebrate it... Uh, Happy Easter. <laughs> and for those who don't, uh, yeah, happy holidays. <laughs> All yes. right. See you then. Bye. Bye.